0: Former President Donald Trump was indicted today for trying to overturn his loss to
1: Joe Biden. We have to win in November, or we're not going to have Pennsylvania. They'll change the name. They're going to change the name of Pennsylvania.
0: Pennsylvanians have a unique role with democracy and freedom. We have seen Pennsylvanians rise up
1: at the ballot box. The work of making this world resemble one that you would prefer to live in is a lunch pail (inaudible) job. Hi, welcome to the Keystone Reckoning podcast. I'm your host Jesse White. Joining me today is my guest Rihanna Check, who's the candidate for the 50th state senate seat of Pennsylvania. Rihanna, thank you for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me, Jesse. Okay, so Rihanna, I- I'm gonna—I I do this with all candidates. Give me the 30 to 60 second uh, background of yourself and and kind of how you got to where you are right now.
0: Um, I. Start out. I was born and raised in Quarry, Pennsylvania. Um, I grew up on a farm and worked in a garage and car- on cars. Uh, I ended up joining the Pennsylvania Army National Guard and spent eight years in the Army National Guard, uh, during which time I got my degree in political science from Edinburgh University. Um, uh, after I got done with Edinburgh, I was going to. I was looking into law schools, and then the pandemic hit, and so I started working at Walmart. Um, after that went through and I just saw the hassles of trying to work in the corporate life and seeing how downtrodden people were and how people unhappy people were with politics. I, and you know, the 2020 election after dealing with all that, um, you know, I went down to my local polling place and I was actually afraid um, to be there just because of who I was. Um, I was afraid somebody was going to try and fight me or stop me from voting. And just because of the, Political landscape that we had and that was at that point I said I it was enough I mean I, I needed to make a change so um, I got together a group of advisors and we figured out that the best chance with me living in a very rural area would be to go for the numbers so I looked at some of the candidates and um, I decided to go up against Michelle Brooks for state senate kind of pulling an AOC here but I I think with my background in political science and um, all of the things that I've done throughout my life, you know, my life is my experience and the things that she's been doing just aren't up to par to a state senator. And I think I can do a good job in changing that.
1: It's interesting. And we're going to get to Michelle here shortly, but I want to stay focused on you for a couple of minutes. So you've you've never held any political office before, correct? No, no, I haven't. And how old are you? I am 27 years old. 27. And because we're, we're recording audio, but we have videos so we can see each other and you, you look young. And, and you know, and th- that's great. I mean, I, that's, uh, I was 26 when I was first elected to the state house. So I can, uh, you know, I love young candidates with energy. That's, that's a compliment uh, uh, more than anything else. I guess my question is, is that, well, first of all, are you the only one that's planning on running on the Democratic side?
0: At the current moment, I have worked with all of the county uh, Democratic parties. I've been, you know, all the summers to the fairs and everything. And you know, typically there would be a name out by now saying that they were running, and nobody, nobody seems to think that I'm gonna have a, or primary challenger. So it's looking looking okay for me to be going into the general.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, at this you know, at this point of the calendar, if nobody's announced or, or is sniffing around, then odds are there probably weren't. I just wasn't sure what the landscape was up there. Uh, you know, to know if you had a, a clear path or whatever. Um, so the other you know, the other thing that I think makes you a, a defining candidate uh, is the fact that you are transgender. Uh, yes. You know, and, and that's something you didn't mention in your your initial. You know, and, and I think you kind of alluded to it in the. You know, kind of who you were, and and the you know the way you were per- being perceived in the you know kind of this rough political mm-hmm. landscape. Uh, but you know, you're you're trying to become Pennsylvania's first trans state senator. Yes, uh, there's already there's somebody else running in the 182nd House uh, race to be a uh, who's also trans. Mm-hmm. And but it's it's interesting, and I I I say this because I looked at the difference between the districts, because that's Brian Sims' current district, generally viewed as the most liberal district in Pennsylvania, right? You're running in the 50th of the state senate district, which is one of the most conservative in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yes. And I, I looked at the numbers, and it's you know, uh, it's it's basically like a two to one Republican district. Yeah. Uh, give or take, but it's it's actually. And it, it actually performs better than for Republicans, better than the registration, um, not by a lot, but but by a little. Yeah. So I guess the the, the question is, how the hell is this going to work? You know, kind of what's what's the plan? And, and and not and I'm not saying that is to imply you don't have one, but I mean, you know, what is the what is the the way you're going to approach this in terms of how you're going to try to win over uh, voters that demographically. Won't be inclined to vote for a Democrat, let alone someone who's a trailblazing Democrat.
0: Well, see, here, here's the thing, and I, I, I appreciate the question. It's a great question, and I get asked it a lot. Um, we do have fifty-two thousand registered Democrats, give or take, you know. Um, whereas we have seventy-two thousand registered Republicans. Um, but the numbers that we don't take into account for are the nineteen thousand independent voters. Um, that would put us on par with registration with the Republican Party. Now, I'm not saying that I can get all of the democrats that are currently registered out and all of the independents that are currently registered. But what I can do and and this is something this is why I allude to it. I don't outright run on my platform on the fact that I'm the first transgender <clears throat> state senator for, or I want to be the first tra- transgender state senator for Pennsylvania is because that's only a small fraction of who I am. Sure. Um I I go out and and it really it really alludes to my character that when I go out on the campaign trail. I talk to everybody. I mean, even in my own community, I talk to people and they say, Hey, you know, what makes you better than our current representative? And I look at them and I say, well, I'm here. I mean, I live in a borough, you know, it's, it's not even like I I'm, I'm in one of the major quote unquote cities of the 50th district. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm out there knocking on their doors. I'm knocking, asking them and I have heard more times than I can count. I have voted Republican my entire life, but guess what? You have my vote this upcoming mm-hmm. election cycle.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Real quick, uh, for, for those uh, that are listening that aren't familiar, can you give everybody a breakdown of what the 50th looks like demographically or uh, geographically?
0: Geographically. Um, okay, so my district encompasses actually the bottom part of Erie County, um, at least at the current moment. We are working through a redistricting mm-hmm. right now, so it might change. The most I've heard currently is that I'm looking like I'm gonna lose the Erie County section, and then it's just gonna gain more of a geographical area, but I still should be within the 50th. Um, as far as that goes, I I have the count th- or two counties directly below Erie County, um, and then a portion of Warren County, which is where um Pennsylvania and New York kind of make the L on the um okay. northwestern side. So it's just, it It almost looks like the best way I describe it is if you're looking at my district map, it almost looks like Africa running down through and then it comes slightly down a little bit, right by Grove city area by 80, where 79 and 80 met, meet. Um, and then it just right. shoots straight back up and c- cuts like four, uh, townships off in Warren County. And that's the extent of it.
1: And the other two counties are what, Mercer and Lawrence.
0: Uh, no, uh, it's, I have Erie, uh, Parts of Erie, parts of Warren, Crawford County, and Mercer County.
1: Crawford. Okay. Sorry. I'm looking at a map, but it didn't, it doesn't have the counties on it. So, okay. So yeah, so it's, it's a, it's definitely a rural district, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it, it's, it's a district that is, you know, with rural districts in general, they're, they're tough because, you know, the ability to get out and knock all the doors and to, you know, to, to make those contacts is, it's just difficult the bigger the district is, um, But I want to go back to something you said about kind of your approach and your platform and that, you know, you're, you're running as a, and tell me, please tell me if I'm, if I'm reading this wrong, you're running as a candidate who happens to be trans, not a trans candidate. Is that correct? I,
0: I, my, my, my my thing is I don't specifically define myself by one subset of who I am. I mean, I know there are a lot of people who Mm -hmm. express their gender identity as, a, a large portion of who they are but i spent eight years in the pennsylvania army national guard i have worked uh, in almost every field known to man i i've grew up on a farm i know how, or i literally work on cars currently um i've been in anywhere from um plastic shops to being a mig tig arc welder i have done all of these different things and so being transgender is a portion of it but it's not the, my shining characteristic mm-hmm. if that makes any sense
1: it does it no it makes a lot of sense and, and i think that it's i mean from my own personal point of view i i think that's the right approach um I, I think that you know a lot of times we as the democratic party i think we get stuck on ideas of we have to find candidates that fit the mold or check these boxes. And a lot of times when you do that, and, you know, ones you see a lot are, oh, we need candidates that are veterans, right? Well, and you happen to be a veteran, but, you know, they they may say, we need candidates that are veterans, uh, or, you know, we need candidates that are women, or we need candidates that are whatever Mm -hmm. they may be. But we, instead of saying we need to find the best candidate, it's we need to find a candidate who is blank. And I think a lot of times when that happens, you see a lot of square pegs going into round holes. And, uh, and I think that's a fair
0: point. I mean, you—I I am an avid listener of your show, um, and mm-hmm. the, the episode you put in right before this one, I think, um, mm-hmm. you were talking about the candidate specifically not doing everything in their power to get elected. Um, right. And I think that's that's trying to take that round peg and put it in a square hole.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I, I as as somebody who's running to be an elected official, uh, it's my job and my responsibility to serve the
1: people and that's what i'm going to do to my to the best of my ability right and so let's talk about that for a minute because one of the things that you, know, you seem uh, pretty eager to talk about you know in terms of not just us talking now but in this stuff i've looked up is you know you want to talk about michelle brooks and her record and and you know i i've always said and you know, i'm not the only one but you know it's a common thing that you know most often elections are referendums on the incumbent, right? So as a challenger, you need to make voters realize that they need to vote the incumbent out of office and then convince them to vote for you. And I think a lot of times what you see as challengers skip the first part and go to the second part. And, you know, what you have is people will say, oh, well, you're nice, you're a good person, whatever. But no, you haven't given me a reason not to vote for the other for the incumbent. So I'm gonna vote for the incumbent. And, you know, so I think you've got the right approach there, which is you need to make that case. And it's interesting. I, I'm, I'm interested as to hear your perspective as a constituent because I was elected into the state house with Michelle Brooks. We were in the same freshman class in 2007. And I and I seem to remember her being not as conservative as she is now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a combination of adapting to changed the you know there there was a point after the tea party wave in 2010 where republicans in the assembly had to basically adapt or die mm-hmm. right they had to get more conservative or they were they were going to get primaried out of office and it feels like she made that pivot um so i'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on uh, on her as a state senator and kind of the areas you know if if when you're at a door and you can you know tell you know say three things about her to to win a voter over, what would those three things be
0: well, and I would like to preface this by saying you know she is she is somebody who actually did something, and i i, I cannot commend her enough mm-hmm. for that however being how do you mean what did she, what did she do running for office um she she went out oh, and okay. she, as okay. as, as, a, as a woman in a primarily you know, male um assembly ran to represent the mm-hmm. people and I, I commend her on that. I really do. However, we're not dealing with a you know being a commissioner anymore. We're dealing with two hundred and fifty thousand constitu- constituents. Mm-hmm. and a lot of her policy issues are very focused. Um, and when it comes to constituent relations, nine if as I'm walking through my community, I hear, you know, I tried to reach out to her in her office and, you know, I never got her or I never got anything back or, um, you know, she never even bothers to come check on the rest of her district that is primarily rural. And she focuses on Mercer, you know, uh, Greenville, uh, Grove City, Meadville, you know, all these big cities, but she, she won't step foot into a borough to see the issues that they're having there. Um, and you know, like mm-hmm. some of her policy pla- or policy ideas, um. A lot of the things she's been trying to push is, you know, Lyme disease reform. Like, that's great for people who deal with Lyme disease. And don't get me wrong. Up in this area, there are ticks everywhere, but not every tick has Lyme disease and not every person has a tick where you could generally solve this issue by dealing with a healthcare crisis. Somebody I went to high school with recently went into the hospital with, uh, oh, God, I, I'm trying to remember the, the name of it. Um, essentially a high blood sugar for be, being a diabetic. Um, my mom's a diabetic and she's, she's told me this many times, mm-hmm. like the name of it. And it, it always eludes me. Um, I'm
1: diabetic too. So yeah, I, it's, uh, you could be, I mean, if you were, if you were like hypoglycemic. Yeah. It,
0: okay. was a, it was like an extreme case and she ended up dying from it. Oh somebody, my god! Somebody who was two years younger than me. And we're focusing on Lyme disease and I can almost, I can almost see that like it was probably w- one of a few things like she couldn't get enough insulin to maintain her and for someone being a type 1 diabetic that's that's a death sentence mm-hmm. um there are people who need mental health care there are people who need just you know access or accessibility to doctors covering and fixing the healthcare system instead of focusing directly on Lyme disease is a part of being a senator to 250,000 constituents
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, and that's, you know, you get that a lot. Um, And it's tough because sometimes you'll find these, these kind of niche issues and you're like, oh, I want to do something about that. And then people come back and they're like, yeah, but what about this? And what about that? But I I think there's a a parallel to be drawn here, particularly when I read that your vaccination rate for COVID in your district is one of the lowest in the state, right?
0: all four of our counties minus Erie. If you take the district or the bottom of Erie County that is in her district and take those numbers, mm-hmm. Crawford County. Uh, actually, I do have these numbers. Give me one second. Um, I, I did, I, I sure. did prepare for this because this is one of the, the points I wanted to make um, was that. Is she well, like an anti-vaxxer? Here's, here's the issue. So I, I, the Warren times news put out an, uh, an article about her pushing for, uh, no mandates in, no mandates for school aged children. And now I, I get mm-hmm. that typically that's that's a um board or uh, <clears throat> excuse me uh the board of education's call as to you know immunizations and what types of immunizations they need. Right. However the bill specifically is structured it is uh Senate Bill two 22... let me see here. Anyway, it was just passed through the education committee. Um, but specifically saying that children will not be or will not ever be mandated to get the vaccine, which at this point we already know Governor Wolf is going to veto that. And this it's to the point where we're mm-hmm. we're saying like, are we really wasting time trying to push this legislation? You know, is it going to get passed when you could be dealing with your dec- or declining infrastructure of your school buildings or all these things, but the full vaccination uh, by our county, by the counties here, is Crawford County is at a 42.11%. Uh, Mercer County is a 44.56%, and Warren County is 40.7%. These are the lowest, eight, well, some of the lowest in the state, yet she is the head of the Health and Human Services Bo- or Committee.
1: Of course she is. And I'm assuming, I couldn't find anything, but correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't seen anything... With her uh, directing, you know, urging her uh, constituents to come out and get vaccinated or anything like that. I have not either. Fe- yeah, it feels like the, the vibe I got was that she's not like on the full blown crazy side. No, uh, you know where the mastriandos are, but she's also virtue signaling to those people, um, you know, by doing nothing on certain things and doing other things, like you know, like you mentioned about you know, the anti mandate or whatever. She's trying to have it both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, is the vibe that I picked up. Well, and also
0: she's on the edge or I'm not sure she's the head of or if uh, she's just on the education committee, but she's on that too. And she's basically not, you know we we we've had a school board in my in this district that I've been following very closely that has spent the last, i want to say eleven sessions talking about banning critical race theory instead of dealing with the issues of their declining infrastructure they you know, mm-hmm. students not getting the education that they, they deserve and telling teachers that they can't go to conferences because they might learn about indoctrination when in actuality they're presenting on
1: behalf of a social learning program. So how do you, okay, so let me ask you this then. How do you as a candidate combat that, uh, you know, the critical race theory thing? And because, you know, 2020, it was defund the police and you know, that was the, 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 the whistle that, you know, that, that people heard this year, it's going to be critical race theory. I mean, these past school board elections were clearly a proving ground for that, Mm -hmm. you know, and as a parent, you know, my kids are in kindergarten and first grade. So I'm now just coming into that part of this, you know, of advocacy and everything else. You know, I, I went to my first school board meeting was utterly astonished about, you know, about mask policies and everything. I mean, it, it was it was a a, a rude awakening, um, and I could only imagine if critical race theory came up in that you know in in my district or wherever else, people lose their minds oh, because yeah. you know, it, it, and it's a great boogeyman because people don't know what it is. It just sounds bad because they make it sound bad. So, how are you as a candidate going to combat that when she starts talking about? You know critical race theory and how it's it's coming, and she's gonna stand up against it
0: well and it's it's actually very simple and it's probably the biggest cliche in the books, but it's facts um critical race theory is not and has not been taught in our elementary or high schools ever um it is a college level course that teaches about the legal uh how how the legal system has been structured towards you know uh, creating laws that suppress african-american people and i don't even believe that's like a Mm -hmm. bachelor level um course i believe that's even like into the master's level courses um but it's it's never been a thing but there's always going to be a boogeyman there's always going to be something you know it it's either uh defund the police or it's going to be because they can't stick to a stance that empowers the people they want them frightened and afraid and and standing against their own morals because you know a a democrat is saying that they're gonna teach their kids to hate themselves you know by teaching them critical race theory or like even over the summer i dealt with uh an lg or an anti-lgbt display by a school board member like i went out and supported those kids because it one it was the right thing to do but two like i wanted to show them that they're they're not alone in this, but if they want to stop this drain that's happening where people are leaving this these dist- or these districts in these counties in droves, they need to change their mentality and they need to change their rhetoric. Because to, to have a place where you are literally taking people that are in this district, that live in this district, that grew up in this district, that are LGBT, that are African-American, that are Asian, that are whatever, and you're telling them that they don't belong, and then they sit there and say, well, where's our population going and why aren't we getting the money for this? Quit sending people away. Quit scaring them like they're going to be murdered in the streets. Like, come
1: on. And it it should be noted that uh, I was looking at the district. This isn't the 50th is an overwhelmingly white district, Uh, 3.5 percent black, 0.8 percent Hispanic. So, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's lily white. Uh, You know, and I was wondering, you know, and this is just something I've been thinking about lately. And I want to get people's opinions on, you know, when you talk about critical race theory, Unlike Defund the Police, where it was a a situation where they were talking about an issue that was just like the worst branding campaign of all time, right? They were talking about one thing, and it got turned into something else. Critical race theory, for people like you and I who know what it is and know it's not being taught in our schools, you know, I almost wonder if the Democratic Party shouldn't say, you know what? We're opposed to critical race theory being taught in our schools, too.
0: There was a school board member that actually took that stance. It's like, because it's, he's, he he literally said, I'm opposed to it too, because it's not being taught in our schools.
1: Right. It, you know, it almost feels, and this is where, cause I feel like sometimes this is where we as Democrats just, we trip ourselves up. We spend so much energy explaining, you know, trying to explain what it really is and this, that now we like own it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas if we were just like, you know what, as a party, we are also opposed to teaching critical race theory in schools because it's. You know, it's not something that's appropriate to, to teach at lower levels. You know, in lower levels of education, and you just take it away. You take the issue away.
0: Well, but here's the thing: and in, in saying that they want to ban critical race theory, you are opening Pandora's box because if you can't even define what critical race theory is, teachers are going to be sitting uh, sitting in their classrooms afraid to teach about Martin Luther King Jr. They're going to be afraid to teach about, you know, the the Civil War. They're they're going to be afraid to teach because. They don't know what encompasses is under critical race theory because the people who banned it don't even know what it means.
1: Right, and, and that right, and that's kind of the trickiness, you know. But part of me thinks if we just say okay, fine, we're we're cool with banning it too, and there's no now that there's no opposition, there's no wedge, there's no uh, you know, there's no uh, group of people getting all riled up about it. Do you know? Do they just abandon it and move on to something else? I don't know, I, but it feels like we're it. It, it feels like a trap. Right, it just feels like a trap. It feel, and they're so good at this. The Republicans are so excellent at this, in getting you know, it's a thing because we allow it to be a thing. I mean, whereas I don't know, I don't know what they would do if we were just like, all right, yeah, we're with you, ban it, okay, let's just go, let's do this. Uh,
0: no, you know, like what would they do?
1: They, they, well, it's, it's there
0: always has to be a boogeyman. You know, it was first it was communism, then it was okay. you know, just there's always one one after another after another because that's. That's their tactic. And you know what? The sad part is it Mm -hmm. works. It really does. Sure. It does. You terrify your constituents and make it so you're the only one who can solve their issues. Of course, they're going to vote for you.
1: Right. Well, and the other thing is there's a huge disconnect between what actually happens in the Capitol and what comes out of the Capitol. Right. Especially where I'm assuming are there. Well, you probably have a few Democrat reps in your uh, district. (laughs)
0: Uh Ryan Bizarro, He he's up in
1: Erie. He's not quite the same. Um, For the most part, you know the the state senator by you know virtue of their press releases and uh, their email blasts and everything. You know they're kind of setting the agenda in terms of what constituents hear and and you know, uh, yeah, you know, they they can. Republicans are very good at doing very bad things and making them sound very. I mean, it also
0: doesn't help that we have Mike Kelly over this area, so that's just like a a cherry on top, but.
1: Right. I mean, you know, so it's it's what I call the red fog, right? When there's just yep. really, Republicans are the only ones putting the, you know, doing the messaging out there. And because it's, quote, official messaging, it gets to the paper, it gets, you know, it it gets the press. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I'm thinking about, like, specifically, like, challenges that you're going to face. You know, You know, you're not, I don't think you're going to face critical race theory as much as they're going to hit you with uh you know banning trans participation in student athletics um because there's a bill out there for that right now they're going to hit you with they're going to hit you with trans bathrooms right i mean they hit me with that uh you know i got the mailer of like and we had never even voted (laughs) on it i'd never even (laughs) given a position but it was because i was a democrat there was you know jesse white wants to let you know uh people into your daughter's bathroom at school and it was terrifying and i'm like i do when the hell did that happen right Like,
0: but i mean Can I, can I tell you a little secret here? Please. If we're talking, and this is coming from somebody who is transgender. If we're talking about sports, kids don't give a shit. They just want to play sports. And if we're talking about a bathroom barrel, oh my God, I want to go in and pee. You are more likely, statistically, you are more likely to be assaulted by a, an elected official, meaning a congressman, a state representative, than you are a transgender person,
1: statistically on record. And as somebody that knows a lot of those state representatives and senators, I'd say, yeah, that's definitely the case. Exactly. <laughs> right. and I'm here,
0: when I go into the bathroom, you you want to know, I want to pee. I want to pee. I want to go to the bathroom and leave, mm-hmm. you know, wash my hands and leave. I don't. Right. Uh, you, you want to paint a boogeyman and that's all it is. And right. until somebody can openly say it then
1: Right. And it feels you know, and I, I like your approach there because you're very. I, I like the matter of factness, Right. You know, you're like, look, it, you know, you're you're not trying to obfuscate or apologize or do whatever. You're like, it is what it is, and you know. But I, I'm I'm sure that that's what they're gonna. You know, it, it's a way to force you to talk about being trans because then they can define you. You know, I mean that that's just what they're gonna do because they can't. The problem is, you know, politically. They can't be like they can't attack you directly for being trans, right? I mean, that's that's a little no, right? I mean, it'll be a whisper campaign and you know whatever you know, and and obviously you're not denying it, and it's nothing to be ashamed of or embarrassed about or have to explain. It's just who you are. But in that district, they're going to try to paint you as different, but they can't come right out and say it directly. So what they'll do is talk about a bunch of issues relating to trans rights or, or whatever, and then try to force you to own those issues and then that's how, that's how they'll come and get you.
0: And then I'll just look at them and say this is this is my one-liner for most trans issues that they're going to propose to me is like, mm-hmm. ultimately this comes down to, you are curious about what is in my pants. And if you want to start talking about real politics here, I'd be glad to do that. But if if this is only going to be a spear campaign about trying to figure out what's going on downstairs, I'm out of here. <laughs> like... <laughs>
1: That should be your slogan. Like, it's about what's up here, not down there. Like, you know, like with you pointing to your brain. <laughs> I mean, I, I was I was literally given the best political
0: last name ever. Like, think think about the messaging. I have go out and check the box. Um Right. You know, like I literally I have a check mark in my campaign logo. Come on, like.
1: Yeah, it's you know it, it's it's just going to be fascinating because. So let let me ask you a question. This is something that I've struggled with a little bit. Not. And, and and I say that more in a kind of systemic way than a, a personal experience way. But what do you say? And there's no right or wrong answer here. But what do you say to people that are curious about your experiences as a trans person? And and, and let me let me frame that a little bit because it's a very broad question. And, and I assure you, I'm not going to ask you any personal questions, but. To people that maybe you're out meeting on the campaign trail, right? You know, and you're, as you're just meeting people and networking or whatever, and you meet people that are genuinely curious, but not in a negative way, right?
0: I, I understand what you're coming from. Yeah, like,
1: please, there's, here's, please here's, answer here's, here's this. Like, I don't, and
0: I'm not going to get like all personal and public on and the, I don't on want the you podcast to. because like that's right I know. but if somebody genuinely wants to come up to me and this is what i this is what i tell every single individual that asks me i don't care how you say it as long as you don't say it with malice if you are not coming at, if you're coming at me with genuine curiosity i will tell you because i would rather you ask me than assume or google
1: okay now see that is that's so fascinating because i've run into to people and had experiences where and it wasn't necessarily with being transgender but it was other other issues, you know, other personal, social issues, things like that, um, where you know it was basically you don't get to ask me about me, and you know my response was, and this was, and this was to put it in context, we were kind of there was a group of us that were co-supervisors, like we were all colleagues, and we were all man, we were going to be managing large groups of people, and it was a political organization. Mm-hmm. And this was in a, you know, a supervisor's type meeting and, you know, we were talking about different things and, and the question was, well, how, if those things come up, how do you deal with it as a supervisor? And there was a lot of, you know, I don't have to explain myself to you and, and these sorts of things. And my, the, the thing I struggled with was saying, look, I don't want you to explain yourself to me. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm not asking you anything personal, you know, but. If we have, if there are people that genuinely want to be allies, I think that's the key. And I think it's kind of what you were saying about a lack of malice. If I want to be an ally, but I need a better, I need to know how to be a better ally. Is it offensive to ask that question or not? See, now here's, here's my
0: one thing. It And I hate, like, I hate that this is such a, honestly, a political issue um, because it, it shouldn't be like my gender identity is my own. The only reason why I have to be comfortable talking about it, whereas say like the, the next person doesn't, is because I'm going to be a very political and open person. Like I'm going to be out on the main stage, um, but I do wish that you know coming to some of my you know brothers and sisters in the LGBTQIA, there are gen- uh, genuine people around here. There, I've gone to local businesses. I've gone to you know. And I, this is one of the things that I started out my campaign with. There's a there's a uh, like this uh, there was a light up sign out in a, a city or a, a township out here that was was directly pointed at Dr. Levine, um, and very using very crude things like that. And I spoke out and I said I I actually called out the people that are around there that were just sitting silently. I'm like I'm like this is a local well known business person that is putting the sign up here. And if you don't say anything against it, it's basically like you're being complicit and agreeing. Why do you think there are so many of us that are afraid to walk out and about and be our true selves? And that there are so many people that even in today's day and age, you have like fifty or sixty year olds that are just now coming out because it's not that they, you know, it's a, a fad or a fashion trend. It's that it, it is physically safe for them to do so. And
1: and the more open especially yeah. for people that are living in rural areas you know absolutely i i hear that 110 percent and you know it, it is it is very difficult being in such a
0: red district especially with it being such a hot button topic um because i will have people who will immediately you know they'll when i when i'm doing my cold calling and stuff like that they'll they'll immediately be like oh you're that person and hang up the phone or they'll just want to scream at me and yell at me i'll be like all right have a nice day like but you know there there'll be people who will just kind of like Give me that look, but are still kind of on the hook. You know what I mean? And then I'll just be like, "Have you ever met somebody who is transgender?" And nine times out of ten, it is a, a resounding no. And the one out of ten times, the reason why they're looking at me like that is because it was a re- or it was a yes, and they had a horrible experience.
1: And yeah, and that's really the struggle. You know, I I've seen uh, being just out you know on different campaigns and, and out in different communities all over the place is I I think. With especially with trans individuals, because I think it's a newer idea to a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, and because you know it, it's like you said, you know people are are afraid. There, you know, a lot fewer people are, are coming out and and you know uh, and 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 being uh, very unabashed to say, oh, "This is who I am," and you're you know it's it's who I am. Who cares? You know, it's it's who I am. Mm-hmm. And but I think that there's this this fear of people that want to be allies but don't know how to be they don't want to offend anybody you know but it because of that it forces them into this place where they kind of don't know what to do it's like okay do i just ignore it is that uh, rude okay. do i ask you about it like actually, I, does that make a little bit no, more no, sense i, I mean that's kind of, of where it is
0: i have a term yes please it's called it it's called awkward limbo
1: I love it. Okay, and, explain to me awkward limbo. Okay,
0: so awkward limbo is you know how you're doing your limbo thing and like as it goes down and down and down, it gets more and more uncomfortable for you to get under the bar. So, typically, as you're getting deeper into a conversation, you say, as a heterosexual cisgendered male are trying to walk around the topic you are trying to ask about because you are so afraid of political correctness that you know that you are doing it. So every time that you are avoiding the actual question that you want to ask, that bar is going lower and lower and it's kind of squishing them down. Like, they're like, okay, like, where are we getting with this? Like, it, it, because at that time, and the only thing, and this is coming from my perspective, I'm not speaking for everybody, but like, the only thing that's going on in my mind is where's this conversation going? Am I about to be into like a fight or flight thing? Am I about to be like making a new best friend? Am I about to be like, do I need to call the cops and, you know, or pull out my cell phone and start recording this shit? Cause it's about to be funny as hell.
1: Like, you're right. And and here's the thing, you're absolutely right. And and I guess the problem that that I've run into is, and I guess this is the danger of trying to, you know, and I think we all do without even without even realizing it, is you know, of of the danger of painting everybody with the the same broad brush, right? You know, not all trans people think the same and feel the same. Not all you know straight people think the same. I mean, we're all people, right? We're all individual people. And you could take five people that on paper. Are very similar line them up next to one another and they're on completely different in the way they perceive things. Right. And I think the problem that we run into is, like you said, you know, it's political correctness. I think it's political correct. I think there's a difference between political correctness for the sake of being politically correct and political correctness in terms of being respectful and not wanting to be disrespectful.
0: And that's right? why I say, what? like, I ask me yeah. how you wanna ask me, because if you don't know how to ask me, you're gonna be playing that, you're gonna get into that whole limbo thing, because you're gonna try and walk around the words that you're trying to use. I would rather you say, you know, like, just straight up be like, what is in your pants? Or like, are you planning on having a surgery or not? And as long as that there wasn't like a, an intent of being rude or mean or anything like that, Mm-hmm. I know the words that you were trying to use before you tried to go into that limbo thing. Now, this is just right. me. Now, I'm not I'm not again not speaking right. for all.
1: Right, and that's the point. I mean, that's you versus somebody else for and, and and by the way, the questions I'm talking about are not necessarily even anything remotely that personal. It would be more along the lines of you know, uh, what is it like being a trans person running for office? How does that impact, you know, like the more general, like inbound but, questions as a, elected, a, you know, as a candidate that you would be, yeah. you know, that you would be answering. But yeah, it's just, no, but it's fascinating. You you
0: only know the words that you know. Right. And here's the thing, and I, I, I want to say this to anyone who out there that is a part of the LGBTQI community is like, yeah, there is so much research out there. Um, that, you know, you we as, you know, the LGBTQI would love for you to go look at and and just kind of get a general sense. But like, if the words aren't there, the words aren't there. So like to, to this community, it's like, understand that there's a whole lot of people out there, especially in this area that do not understand or don't have the words to say it. Because nine times out of 10, when somebody does come at me with like that brutal honesty, but like without malice, I will tell them the words that like, they should use because that is educating them in a very simple way to be like, okay, so I get what you're trying to say. This is
1: what you should have said. And then I will answer their question. That, and you just say, actually, you literally just answered my next question was, you know, as someone who is you know going to be out in the community and, and talking to a ton of people and everything and, you know, all different kinds of people, like you said, that, that you don't, when you knock on that door, you don't know what you're dealing with. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, the fact that it sounds like you've you're kind of looking at not as uh, not as a responsibility, but as an opportunity to maybe educate people who want to be educated in a very limited way. Is that is that a fair is that a fair way of putting it? Well, here, here's the thing. I mean, it is. It is,
0: but at the end of this election, I am either going to win. Or I am going to lose big, so I can change the conversation, because that's what needs to happen. Is because it, it's like it's like who uh, who in this area? Like we have Dr. Tyler Titus, but that is they are up in they are up in Erie, and that is still a very like blue purplish area. But like you, you, I, I wish you could, you know, I could read and show you some of the emails that I get from people who are in this community that live right here, email messenger that say that it is so great that I am doing what I'm doing and that I need to keep it up because at the very least I am changing this conversation to say hey we are here like it's it's not like this non-existent thought of like oh let's ban LGBT books or hey you know let's let's ban anything that's different or let's make legislation that makes kids feel like they're singled out or that they can't even use the bathroom at school like it's not about that. It's about changing the conversation to say that, hey, we're here in every aspect, and you're going to have to deal with that because whether you believe it or not, I'm here and I'm going to change the conversation to
1: make it so you have to hear us. And you're right because, and it's it's the simple, age old thing of you know when you put a face on something, it's a it's a lot harder to hate, right? It's a lot harder. It's a lot easier to hate something in the abstract than it is to hate it when it's when it's a person standing in front of you. Well, or be up, up. Brought,
0: well, yeah, but you also brought up like, uh, uh, Brian Sims, uh, and Malcolm Kenyatta. It's easy for them to be openly gay down in their liberal areas. But like wh- when you don't know somebody's personal life, like your neighbor could be that, you know, that single guy that lives next door could be gay. It's the, the two women roommates that you think are roommates could be lesbians it's easy for those types of people to just live you know and for someone like me you know you could you could be living next to somebody who's gay who's uh bisexual who's a lesbian or whatever and never know it you could live your entire life and never know it but the second you live next to somebody who is non-binary queer uh trans you know gender non-conforming you're going to know it because they are going to look different. And that's what people are thinking is like, that's why these trans bathroom bills, that's why these trans sports bills are so crucial is because they, they they're they banking on people thinking like, oh, they're not in my community. So I can say whatever I want. Well, guess what? I am in your community. And if you want to say it to my face, go right ahead. But I'm going to you're going to have to deal with a rebuttal.
1: Absolutely. No, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I, I I think applies to your area, and I think it applies to a lot of areas is, you know, we tend to look at and I'm just talking about Democrat Republican now. We tend to look at areas as you know, like, oh, it's a red district, therefore, uh, you know, everybody's ultra-conservative. But like you said, you know, there are still a ton of you know, Democrat Democrats there. So, you know, this idea that you know, and but what happens, I think, is and I'm sure you've run into this when you've knocked on doors. People that live in these communities, because Democrats don't do very well politically, they think that everybody around them, you know, like you'll knock on a door and they'll be like, I'm the only Democrat on this street. And you're like, well, no, actually, there are Democrats there, 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 and there. And they're like, really? You know, and they're like, they don't even know who the Democrats in their neighborhood are because they're like, you know, they're surrounded by you know Trump flags and craziness. And they're like, you know what, I'm just going to go into a shell and do my thing. And, you know, and those are probably the people that are sending you the messages and the emails and everything.
0: You would be surprised at how many people like walk up to me and be like, "I I support you for what you're doing in like a whispered tone. Like, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, like I would—I was out at the county fairs, I was seeing people, I had the hecklers, I had the, you know, what have you, but I had so many more meaningful conversations. And, and honestly, whenever I go out into a community, I just say I'm running for state senate. And I just start asking them, what do you need for the community? And by the time that we get into like, say, five minutes into the conversation, they'll be like, oh, hey, uh, are you a Republican or a Democrat? I'm like, I'm a Democrat, but is that going to stop me from solving your problems? You're my constituent. If I get elected, you know, because I'm not I'm not here to I'm not here to just vote for Democrats. I am not here to just vote or, you know, vote against Republicans. I'm here to serve the people of my district. And that that's simply put, I have Republicans, I have Democrats, I have independents and I have
1: non political people. But guess what? If they need me, that's what I'm going to be there for. Okay, so let's let's take a step back and talk about the political nuts and bolts of this. You know, one of the the things as a consultant, I always do when I'm looking at a, a race, you know, kind of what's the path to victory, right? What is your path to victory?
0: So, okay, can we
1: fine tune that a little bit? Sure. What uh, what has to happen in order for you to win? Let me re- let me rephrase it.
0: Well, obviously, first I have to get on the ballot that's just that's the base well, let's of it.
1: assume that we get we're in the general and it's you versus Michelle and it's the day after the primary what are the what needs to happen on your end and what needs to happen on her end in order for you to win at the, at the current moment
0: I'm gonna be I'm gonna be knocking on every door I don't care if you have a trump flag I don't care if you have a mm-hmm. um don't give me I like don't if it's like Trump everywhere I might I might be like we might skip that house
1: right right but
0: um I'm gonna be knocking on every door I'm gonna be going to burrow boroughs uh the boroughs the you know smaller townships i'm going to be going to their meetings i'm going to be talking to these people i'm going to see what they need because mm-hmm. that that's really what it is is because for so long people have been absentee you know mm-hmm. they, they they think they can just go to harrisburg and do whatever the hell they want and nobody's going to pay attention well then you get people like myself or you know some of the other candidates that went for this uh, you know state rep that are coming in and be like, Hey, we're paying attention. And if you're, if you're not going to do your job, we're going to do it for you. I, you know, as somebody who works worked in retail, worked in these companies, if, if your employee is not doing their job, you give them a warning and you, then if they still don't do it,
1: you terminate them. Why should this be any different? So let me go back to something we talked about earlier. What, what's the biggest aside from, you know, not being present in the community. Give me two more reasons why michelle brooks should not be re-elected
0: well we've talked about the ultra focus it's not just on the lyme disease um like she she mm-hmm. wants to work with firefighters which is great but how about we just start getting some more funding into the county so we can pay our firefighters and emergency services workers um
1: right. uh yeah. no, nobody's ever lost an election being pro firefighter No,
0: and that's the thing and she does a lot of feel-good bills like making sure that uh these people are recognized that we take a moment of silence on 911 which is a great thing to do but like how is that helping the community any more so than a little bit of camaraderie um if if you really want to rally your constituents help them make sure that they are taken care of that they can actually be with their families be with their communities and not have to worry about you know bureaucratic nightmares that is office because you're doing your job um and the other thing is she is getting to the point where she is borderline lifetime politician. Like she was in Mercer County. There was a, she was on a borough council and like, I think, I think it was close to almost out of college. Maybe it was a little after. Um, And then she went up to the commissioner and then she went to the house of represent or the, the state rep. And now she's a two term Senator going to be a third term Senator if she, you know, goes to run again. And it's, it's like, you, you, after so long, your perspective gets stale. Cause like she I, I, I even got a mailer in the mail um, from her, uh, her or her staff saying like, oh, Lyme disease, firefighters, uh, service animals for veterans. If you look back to like, I want to say 2016. No, 2018, 2018, about the same thing, just kind of slightly different. You know, you change the words, you make it look a little bit better and you shine it up real new, but it's the same crap you're pushing.
1: I was going to say a lot of that stuff sounds familiar from when I was in the legislature, you know, 10 years ago. Um, Yep. Yeah. And yeah, because there's a lot of stuff that's just, you're right. Like, let's find feel good stuff, right? You're never going to go wrong trying to help veterans. You're never going to go wrong trying to help firefighters. And that's the thing. It's it's a lot of recycled stuff.
0: You can sit, you can sit on these. Like when you, when you're, you have that safe cushion of say 20,000 voters Mm -hmm. that you're like. They would have to get a significant amount of voters or like people registered just to even contest with me, and you're not causing waves right you can sit as a lifetime politician and just go um but it's it's getting to the point where like even even like her own or the Republican constituents are noticing she's absent like she's not around mm-hmm.
1: Well, it's interesting because I, you know, I was looking at one of the things I think that legislative candidates need to do a lot more of, especially when you're running against an incumbent is opposition research. And, you know, in terms of their, you know, when you have someone like Michelle, who's, you know, again, like you said, has been in office forever and there's a ton of votes. I was actually researching a bill for a future podcast I'm going to do about the public private partnerships for with PennDOT. Uh And it was part of the transportation bill. And she vote, and I just I happen to have the vote, the roll call vote up on my computer, and I just checked it a second ago. She voted Mm -hmm. for it, right? That was a gas tax, Mm -hmm. you know. So for everybody talking about, oh, gas is so expensive, and you know, we get this idea, oh, Biden that, right? But Biden didn't do anything to raise your gas taxes, but Michelle Brooks did. Yeah, she did. You know, and it's stuff like that where I think that we we let them off the hook. Like I said, there's that dichotomy of what happens in Harrisburg, what happens at home. And we let them off the hook, and I and I think it's it's the or the challenger's job to make sure people know about that.
0: Oh, of course. And he, here's the thing: like we're we're set in a in a rural district. I you know they're trying to push that uh that the no carry gun legislation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to have a concealed carry permit. It's like you have to have a permit and a driver's license to, to operate a vehicle. You have to have a fishing license, a hunting license for turkey, deer, this, that, something else, just to go hunting. You have to have a permit to have your boat on the water but yet we're trying to stop people from the age of 18 all the way up from having a concealed carry permit that like can do all this. Like what could What could possibly go wrong? wrong? Like, right. It's like, and I, you know, it's just a waste of time because we're, we're at this point in uh, politics across the board, across the United States where it's like, they are trying to get, they're going to push, they're going to push it. They know it's not going to work, but it's just a political stunt to make them look good or, to hold their party, you know, line or whatever. And right. it's the only people that it's hurting are the constituents that live in their districts.
1: Plain and simple. Yeah. Have you, so, you know, when it comes to, getting, uh, you know, kind of broader political support from stakeholders and stuff like that for your race, uh, you know, it, it's going to be a massive challenge just because of the, the nature of your district. You know, I mean, they typically will only fund a handful of races every year. Everybody else kind of gets put on the pay no mind list uh, and, and you're left kind of floundering. Uh, have you had any conversations with the Senate Democratic Campaign Committee or anybody?
0: Yes. Yes, I have um i had i had a conversation with melanie rose mm-hmm. um we she she's got me uh you know some system access and stuff i have had conversations. and obviously like i'm i'm still going through my national support so i'm i'm doing the you know working families party endorsements i'm trying to go through and do my um bets for the people um ignite uh oh and then obviously victory fund cuz Sean malloy got to love him
1: Victor, well, that uh, was my I next through, question. I, Victory. Fund. I already submitted
0: that one and yeah. I'm just waiting to hear back from
1: it. But do you think that that's, that's probably going to, I'm assuming th- those, you know, groups like that would probably be a sub- substantial source of your, of your donations. Um, uh, what what about organized labor? Have you had any talks with them? Have you
0: gotten I'm, any commitments from them? That's a little bit, that, that one was a little bit more confusing. on my part. I had, to have, I had to ask a few questions on that one before I actually sent it in. Mm. Um, I'm waiting to hear back on, uh, on a
1: few uh, pro tips, so to speak, um, because it's interesting what happens, and this is a whole other podcast. It, that it, you know the way Republicans, especially in Western PA, have kind of co-opted labor to their cause, um, and it has to deal with mineral extraction, and it's 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 complicated. And but you know there are a lot of really conservative Republicans who back in the day would have never gotten a penny from labor are now getting the money and the endorsement over Democrats, mm-hmm. um, for a variety of reasons. And I'm, I'm curious to see how that shakes out this cycle. Well, I mean, I, um, I, I think it will be very, revealing. I think that's
0: where I, with me having such young and unique perspective on things, that's where I'm kind of like the wheels are turning. I've, I've said about, I want to, I want to go revamp the whole public school code. You know, it, it was created in 1948 and we've been making patches here and there where we see fit. Um, I think we need a revamp where we actually take into consideration the amount of students who are going through the public school code. I say we go through and kind of close these loopholes that allow charter schools that are, you know, getting public money from these students that, you know, we have 3000 students in a district or in a school district that are paying into the 500 that are doing a charter school. Um, and it's just taking away from the funds that have to, from the kids who have to be there. Um. And then, obviously, I want to look into healthcare because, like, healthcare around here, especially prescription drug cut, uh, prices caught across Pennsylvania, that should be that should be a no brainer. Um, but again, you know, when you have the people in power who are being paid by the people who are making these prescriptions, that's what's going to happen. Um, and the other, oh, the, and then the last thing was uh, I want to I want to try and look at new and effective ways to revitalize the economy, and one of the ways was solar powered roadways. You know we have so many roadways that are running in uh, in and across Pennsylvania, and we are a state that is touched by six, five or six other states. That we like, we could effectively over a ten-year time. Yes, it's a little bit more upfront, but with this infrastructure bill coming in, why not? We start making our own energy. We can take some of these old rundown factories that are in, say, the fiftieth district, or even in your district, to create and retrofit them to make these panels that then. Maintain a temperature of I think it's at zero degrees Fahrenheit. They maintain a forty-one degree Fahrenheit temperature. So there goes your ice. There goes your you know heavy snow. They have a water filtration system. There's a clean and you know clean drinking water. They have to run channels next to them so you can take all of the wires that now you know are above ground, put them below ground, and as you're doing it, run not broadband but fiber optic internet across them because the biggest thing with fiber optic is having a, co- a consistent power source guess what solar panels
1: so you're making way too much sense to be an elected official
0: right now. <laughs> i know I, I hear that i hear that way too much i really do people look at me and they're like how how have we not looked into this i'm like i'm looking into it now and i'm not even an elected official i've talked to some of the engineers and stuff and they said it's very possible you know starting with a three-tier plane you start with some of those smaller areas that don't have as much traffic to see how they do over like a six month period then you move on to like your you know uh smaller cities like uh Meadville or uh cory you know not like pittsburgh or erie but like something right. that has a little bit more traffic but you know see how that goes sure. for six months ramp period? up and then like even if it was across the 50th we have 79 that runs straight up through you do you put in a third lane that is strictly for you know like a fast pass type thing or even like truck truck drivers or whatever see how does the wear and tear so it's not affecting the main roadways then switch over to it and at, open up that one as the main roadway and repair one lane and have a three-lane highway going up with which is also solar powered energy
1: none of that sounds horrible at all
0: no no it doesn't and and here's here's the kicker on all of this and this is the best part if we actually ran it through Pennsylvania then we can start taxing some of these some of these you know gas and companies that are running through Pennsylvania and when they decide to take an alternate route we can export our energy to other states so that way they can get wean off some of the fossil fuels that are killing our killing the world
1: and yeah and you know and, and by doing what you just did which was taking 5 minutes and giving you know real policy ideas and and having actual things to talk with voters about i mean that that's the most valuable thing you can do when you're at doors you know is to show that you're a candidate of substance who's actually thought these things through and you know i think there's an inclination to to basically be three walking uh, bullet points, and I think the ability to you know to to get into a into the weeds a little bit and be a little wonkish is not a bad thing because it's showing people you've actually thought some of these things through and you're not just you know you're not just for sunshine and puppy dogs and fire departments nope. you know um,
0: but it's also that I have realistic realistic and real life ideas that they can picture in their heads so like Meadville Corey, uh, 79. These are things that they can see and be like, huh, that would work, wouldn't mm-hmm. it?
1: Absolutely. And and it's funny because to, to kind of bring this all the way back around, you know, to me, you, you were talking about uh, education funding and and the way, you know, the cyber char- or you said charters, but to me, it's cyber charters that are, you know, that are really sucking money out of the districts and everything. And it was funny because I thought, you know, as a parent, like, that's the thing I care about more than, you know, who's going in what bathroom right? Like, mm-hmm. or about critical race theory. Like, you know, I care about are my kids, you know, we, we chose to live where we live based on, you know, what the reputation of the school district was, what the funding level was, and all that kind of stuff. Like, those are real things that parents care about, you know? And by talking about those, and when the other side's talking about these culture war garbage issues, you know, it it does give a Democrat an opening to to kind of drive that wedge the other way. Right mm-hmm. and say, no, we're talking about real policy here. They're talking about, you know, bullshit that's not really a thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, and, and it's it's hard to do, it's hard to, to do that flip, but if you could pull it off, uh you you leave the other side looking really stupid. Um, which, you know, I'm all for.
0: I, I, I do that more often than so. I'd like to admit. I, I really do. Honestly, I'd have somebody who's arguing with me in front of a, you know, a small group of people and I'll just be like, well, what about this, this, and this? And it just kind of
1: negates everything that they're saying. And then the crowd just kind of gravitates over to me. It's fun. Nice. I, well, I, I do. I like your kind of like, kind of like dry, like your, your kind of like attitude to, you know, it's kind of like a, a lot of candidates feel the need to like over explain and like get all jumpy and, you know, like they can't get enough words in. And like, you're kind of just got this chill. Like, I know what I'm, you know, I know what I'm talking about like and f it you know what I mean but in a good way you know and and sometimes I think that that's a that, that's a really good attitude to have when you're out there and you know you're you're not over explaining you're not over you know sometimes you can just overdo it on, from a campaign point of view um and, and I think to be sometimes a little more understated is is actually a really cool approach so um oh, very impressive don't get me wrong uh, it, I could be
0: long-winded when I need to be but Honestly, sometimes, right. well, we sometimes all can. Yeah, especially going through the campaign, I've, I've really learned to like, really, if I can't tell you within say one minute, what I stand for. Yeah. I, yeah. The interviews, I, I go a little bit longer, a little bit more detail, kind of, that's, how, that's sure. how people hear it. Cause once they hear the the one minute pitch, they'll go looking and be like, Hmm, does this all line up? And, and they'll see the, the podcast or the interviews that I do
1: with media outlets. Right. Um, Right. No, it's a, it's a great way to open the door, you know, but you're right. And so many candidates, it's just they won't shut the hell up. You know, I mean, you ask them one question and they talk for 46 minutes straight. And you're like, all right, now can we get back to what we we're originally talking about? Um, and I think that there's sometimes an over reliance mm-hmm. on policy, you know, and it, it's difficult because I think there's a, a fine line. You know, they have to, you know, I always say voters have to know you, they have to like you. And then they'll listen to your policies and make decisions based on that. But if they don't like you, then it doesn't matter how great your policies are. They're just not, they're not having it, you know? So it's, it's a really fine line and there aren't many candidates that can do it, you know, when you first enter into politics, I mean, you, you, it's a really, I think it's an un, it's a a thing that's not talked about a lot, but just a kind of like the demeanor of candidates, Um, you know, what turns people off? How do you know, how do you. Uh, a lot of times you could, you could find the new candidate in the room very easily, you know, and, and it's, it sometimes it's just a matter of not having someone around them to kind of coach them a little bit. Sometimes they just need that seasoning. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, especially when you're running for something like state Senate, which is, a you know, uh, the next level up, you know, people expect the Senator to act a certain way and have a certain air about them. Um, you know, and it's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing to do. And honestly, and my, my thing is,
0: I, I won't ever say anything to you that I wouldn't say to my grandma. And the other thing is, but I also won't treat you any different than I would my my best friend because that's, that's where the genuine, that's where the genuine conversation
1: comes in because we've been talking for what an hour and five minutes and it doesn't even seem like that long. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. That's always the thing. I'm like, oh, I'm going to try to do this in 45 minutes. And then like we go along. Oh. So this is actually going to be in two episodes.
0: I mean, but, but what, what I'm saying is like, this is literally the first yeah. time I've met you in person. We've chatted over emails, but mm-hmm. we just got into a conversation and that's what it is. And right. this is what I try to bring to the table is someone that's genuine and real. Um, I, I have no problem saying, hey, what you're doing is messed up and you need to change it because that's what the people deserve. And honestly, that's where I'm at with it.
1: Absolutely. And I just subtly totally sprinkle in the little bits and pieces I need. you Yeah. Well, you, you've done a very effective job, but I, so, okay, well, we're going to call it a day. Um, I very much want to have you back at some point once you're further into the campaign. Cause I have a feeling you are going to have some bomb ass stories from the campaign trail. Um, <laughs> I already do, but like this, this is a yeah. great intro. I do appreciate it. If I could give you a piece of advice and I don't know if you do this already or not, keep a journal, oh, take some yeah. time every night, You know, when you're out there meeting people or whatever, you're going to have these wonderful little vignettes that have happened. Yeah. And because I got it, you're going to I have a feeling that you're going to want to write something after this is all over because of just the uniqueness of the experience. Uh, And, you know, it's one of those things where you always think you're going to remember and then everything kind of fades into the ether. Uh, So, yeah, I I think you'll you'll really appreciate having a, a good record as you go through.
0: And I mean, I to end this out. Like, yeah, I, I'm, I've I've been in front of crowds. Crowds is no Mm -hmm. problem to me. I, I, I mean, you know, I don't, I'm not quite sure exactly how many followers you have, but I've been on quite a few that like people like just hear me talk and I get the reaction from it. Um, but the real shock and awe comes from people like, like, uh, I had a, I'm going to do a little name drop in here. Um, yeah, go for it. Like I met with Lisa Middleton on a, on a Mm -hmm. zoom call. Um, out the she's running to be the first state senator out in California, uh, as a transgender individual. I've talked with, um, obviously, like I, Tyler, Dr. Tyler Titus, they are amazing. Uh, I, I appreciate everything mm-hmm. that they do. That's where the shock and awe comes in from me, is what when, like, uh, and then, uh, Malcolm, Representative Malcolm Kenyatta, state rep Malcolm Kenyatta, they're great. I, I met them once, I think it was at. Uh, an Erie Dems picnic and we just hit it off. And they, I love them so much. So I uh, shout out to them. Um, but it's, those are the, what about
1: Sarah McBride? Have, have you ever spoken with I Sarah McBride working on
0: that? I am. Oh, uh, Christy yeah. She, she told me I, I met her when, uh, actually just recently it was when the attorney general, uh, came up to Erie for his announcement in Erie. Um, yeah, I, I met mm-hmm. Christy Anebis. She she was so great. She was amazing. And we had we had a nice talk. But yeah, it's those type of people that like they see me and they're like, hey, I know who you are.
1: Like I'm like, you do? <laughs> it's it's a weird thing as you're running for office. People you, you realize that people start to pay attention to you more than you realize. And it is a humbling and terrifying thing all at once because you realize that the words you say actually reverberate out and people actually listen to them. Uh, and it's the one piece of advice I'll give is when people start coming up to you and saying, do you know, do you remember who I am? You know, just like (laughs) constituents, whatever. I always used to just say no, because it's like, you know, we're going to try to get cute. Be like, no, I don't remember. Help me out. And they'd be like, uh, you know, instead of trying to play the gotcha game. And for those, just to backtrack, Sarah McBride, for those who don't know, was the Delaware Democrat who became the first trans person elected to a state Senate back in 2020. Um so that was what that was why I kind of name dropped her i' i am working um, on it
0: though i i, I have a few contacts that are kind of pushing a few things around so um but
1: very cool and I imagine once your campaign gets you know more active and up and running you know as we move into the cycle you'll probably you know i, I think those contacts will you know they'll they'll, mm-hmm. they'll be coming to you as well um and I mean, you know, for support stuff
0: like this helps too i I really do appreciate it getting is
1: this helps me get my name out oh absolutely absolutely and uh so speaking of getting your name out, give everybody your information. I'm going to put it in the show notes, but uh, give everybody your website information. Um, and I'll have your act blue in there for anybody that wants to donate or anything like that.
0: I, I appreciate it. It's uh, most places it's check for Senate. Uh, Instagram is Ria for PA Senate. Um, and then my website, we're still working on the update on that. So if you want to go to my website, just check it out on my Facebook page. Uh, it's it's still under the Wix name, but we're, we're, we are we're definitely are working on that. Um, okay.
1: And check is C Z E C H like yeah, Check. Like the country.
0: Um yeah. and yeah. uh all of my information is out there. But I, I would appreciate if uh, if you'd like to volunteer, please just reach out to me. My emails on my Facebook and my Instagram. Um and if you would, please donate. It it helps out every little bit here and there. Um and to get me elected to be the 50th district's next state senator.
1: Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for taking the time, uh, Rihanna check uh, candidate for the 50th state Senate district. And, uh, I'm sure we are going to check back in with you. Cause this is going to be a fun one to watch.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, that's it then and we've saved people the trouble of voting. What's next? Our, our point is that it's, I understood the point. We're going to South Carolina to set up Illinois. When I ask what's next, it means I'm ready to move on to other things. So what's next? We're done. Fantastic.